and Hanai. I love to count myself down just because it's not for production. It's actually more for me to get excited about myself because this is a podcast episode that I have been dying to do. So for many of you who have followed me, hi guys, I'm Jeannie. Thank you for listening to Listen Hanai. You know that I recently got divorced. Well, not recently, about a year ago. Um, finalized, but probably two years in the process. And I'm really excited about this episode because I learned so much about the journey. I want to make it very clear that this is not about my divorce itself. Because if you followed me, I've even heard enough about it. But through the process, I learned so many things and also have so many questions that I would have wanted to know before, not just before getting divorced, y'all, before I even got married. So today, I have a very special guest. I have with me the woman, the powerhouse that helped me get through my divorce. Now, the reason why this is such an epic, monumental day is because she's a boss, she's booked and crazy busy, and she's the coolest woman, not just a family law attorney, but the coolest woman that I have in my circle of friends that I was like, wow, I admire you because I know what you do and because I know who you are as your character. So introducing to the room, Marcy Levine. That's my round of applause. Hi, Marcy. Hi, Jeannie. And I really love your blowout today. Your hair looks fantabulous. Thank you. So I just want to start out by saying for anybody who is married or not married or going through divorce, this message is for you. So pretty much everybody out there. What I noticed about you, Marcy, first of all, I was recommended to you by my great best friend and manager, Stephen Grossman. And it was one cold day in Los Angeles, which is impossible. It was cold in my my mind and my heart because I was just so um, nervous about the territory I was stepping into once I had decided to divorce, to find a divorce attorney, a family law attorney specifically is what you're called. So I remember making different phone calls to people. So for anybody who, obviously, if you're not married or you're getting married or you're going through divorce, listen to the words I'm saying because I'm going to be really honest and brutally graphic about how it felt to go through the process of even just finding a divorce attorney. So I made a bunch of phone calls to to different people, A, I found through online, to people I know that got divorced, and no shade, Marcy, but family law attorneys are really daunting because you all speak in like big words and say a lot of things mm -hmm. that I don't understand and it can be nerve wracking because you're about to kind of talk to your coach who's going to pull you into the boxing ring and kind of like fluff you up or like get you prepped for what you don't know is going to happen. Right. So I called Marcy one day and she was in Miami and I'll remember right away your voice was so jovial and you were like, hey, I'm here at my son's bath or Basket, uh, yeah. basketball was, game. He was there for a tournament. Yeah, my son, my <clears throat> at my son's basketball game, and you know my my husband and I really work hard to try to you know fly around and support him because this is his passion. But I'm here with you, and I want to know what's going on. First of all, I'm so sorry about your divorce. How do you feel? And I just stopped because out of like eight divorce attorneys that I had spoken to, nobody had asked how I was feeling. They went into their rates. They went into their specifics about why I should hire them. They used a bunch of big words about what I'm about to step into and were more concerned about who else I was talking to. So it just was so warm to find another woman who felt me and what I was going through. So immediately Marcy came onto my team. Marcy, I want to first set your life and who you are. So you're married. 
I've been married for 20 years and met my husband in college. We dated for longer than I probably should mention, 14 years before we actually got married. So in total, Greg, this beloved man, how long have you guys been together? Uh, we've been together for 30, I think 34 years. Motherfucker. <laughs> okay, I just need to start there, guys, because yeah, Marcy, how many years have you been a family law attorney? Uh, uh, I, since 1990. Okay, do the math because this Asian is not going to. What's that? Almost 30 years. 30 years. Thank you. Okay. Almost. Not quite. So let's just start off with the fact that for 30 years, so more than your marriage, right. you have dealt with people breaking up their marriages, fighting, getting hostile, crying in your office like I did, tearing each other apart, um, the whole nitty gritty of what divorce is, and you stayed married. Yes. I think ho hopefully I I w hope that I learn from my clients' experiences, and I hope it's made me a better wife, mother, and person. I chose family law because it was a good fit for me. I did not well, want to do transactional law. Okay. I wanted to work with people because I, I like that personal connection. I need that personal connection. And for me... Family law was really interesting. Originally, I had wanted to be a psychologist, and oh, I thought I was going to go okay. to be. Well, first I was at UCLA and thought I was going to be a psychiatrist, and then I realized that medicine was not for me, and I didn't have maybe the aptitude to do medical school. Sure, but I uh, started working at a family law firm when I was in undergraduate school at UCLA. Wow, and it really piqued my interest, and I decided to go to law school and thought that after law school, I was going to get my PhD in psychology. But I did not really understand what a commitment, a time commitment, an emotional commitment practicing family law was. Emotional commitment. And yeah, I, I think that you have a, it's an interesting balance when you're a family law attorney because you have to maintain your objectivity, I think, in order to be a really effective family law attorney. But you also have to have compassion and sensitivity for your clients because they're going through one of the worst times of their lives. Okay, hold on. Pause right there. Compassion, psychology background. How many other family law attorneys do you think out there really factor in having that compassion towards their clients? Unfortunately, okay. I think probably some of the attorneys become maybe more um, numb to it. Sure, of course. And I mean, it's kind of natural. Because it is hard. I mean, yeah. it is hard. But you, I hope, and I'd like to think that my colleagues share my level of sensitivity. I don't think all do, but I'm hoping that um, that more do than don't, because it is really a very grueling process to go through. Right. Okay. So everybody's divorce is different. How how impactful do you think a family law attorney's opinion and influence? is on the person who's getting divorced. I think it depends on the person, but I okay. think it can be significant. Right. Uh, when you there are different there are differences in divorces. There's what the law provides and then there's the what people think they deserve and those two don't always necessarily align. But it's it's best if you can go to a family law attorney who is skilled at settling cases. Mm -hmm. But if they can't settle the case because of one of the different players that's involved and there's two parties and two attorneys, and okay. if one of those um, those four individuals um, isn't 
willing to try to do a more collaborative approach on the law and a resolution, sure. then you have to have an attorney that's skilled and able to go to court for you. And the other side, if they know that, sometimes that will influence and hopefully get the other side to really sit down and try in good faith to settle a case. Okay. But there are a lot of attorneys who don't manage expectations of their clients. And there are a, there's a lot of gray areas in family law. You can't always say, this is what you're going to get by way of either spousal support or custody or even assets, because the family law is, I think, more complicated than people realize. And so I think that people need to understand that, and it's not always black and white. And if an attorney tells you that it's black and white, then you should be a little bit skeptical of what they're telling you. Right. Okay, so we live in Hollywood, where everybody's business is out on the pages of OK Magazine, sadly, tabloids, all that. But everything you read about a divorce usually is nightmarish. It's usually like it draws on for a long time. I know one of them that I see headlines about for a long time now is Mary J. Blige. Now mm-hmm. she's got to allegedly pay her husband 30000 a month. And you hear her kind of go in, in interviews and say a lot of things that you hear for her. She's kind of unveiling about the truth about how hard the divorce is and what she's realizing. So I want to ask you, in the 30 years that you've been a family law attorney, what is the percentage of the divorces being really bad compared to them being smooth and easy and like people shake hands and walk out being friends maybe? I would say that more times than not, it's difficult for people to uh, be friends after a dissolution. Inevitably, one party or the other has hurt feelings or resentment or feels that maybe the results of the financial ramifications weren't what they right wanted or thought thought was fair. Right. So I think most times, more times than not, people don't stay friends. But I do think in cases where there's children involved, that it's really, really important for parents or parties to rise above the conflict and the hurt feelings or the anger and try to do the right things for their parent for their children and co parent effectively. Of course that's the dream situation. But where do you think it takes a turn? Where in a divorce when people are like, okay, you know what? We want our freedom. We're not going to work out together. So it sounds like a, a good decision, even though it might be painful, to let's, let's go ahead and end this and start a new chapter in life. Now they walk into the family law attorney's office and then shit starts changing. Where, does, where, where do you think it starts to get ugly? At what point? It can be, quote, ugly when people go for things that they represent that they're not going to pursue. In other words, if someone says, I'm not going to try to take your business or I'm not going to take your house. prevent you from seeing, you know, having access to our child, um, when people use children in a process, it could become very oh, ugly. I never thought about that. And also, I think when people feel like they've worked hard and the other person hasn't really contributed financially, perhaps, or even to the care of their children, I think that there's a lot of resentment, and that's where I think it can sometimes. But I, hopefully, as an attorney, you try to keep things as calm as possible and try to have people take a step back to avoid that because the emotional toll and the financial toll that allowing your emotions to be unharnessed or, or your expectations not to be managed becomes really problematic. Right, and I love what you're saying because... I mean, maturely, that sounds like ideal. That sounds like your job is to keep the person calm, come and deliver the news, and 
get what their asks are and deliver it calmly. But you, Marcy, have no control over what's happening on the other side. So how do you still apply what you just said to the other side when you have no idea what's going on in the other person's ear and then you get asks that come back that now you have to deliver to your client that completely are opposite from what you're trying to keep peaceful and harmonious here. It's it's very it's frustrating for right. family law attorneys. I fortunately have been doing this for a long time, and I know a lot of the the other family law attorneys who who specialize. And hopefully, I have built up rapport with many of them, and we can rely on representations, and we can be transparent, and hopefully, shepherd our clients through the process. But unfortunately, there are times when. Uh, the other side or the other party doesn't see the wisdom of trying to navigate the process in a more collaborative way. Yeah. It happens all the time, and it's it's frustrating well, because feelings are turned up to a whole nother level, right? And I and I'd much rather see the that my client and the other party even um, preserve their assets for themselves and not spend it on litigation. Yeah. Being embroiled in litigation is a very expensive and emotional process, or at least it can be. And so, if you can avoid that and if everybody can take a step back, and it's not always possible, but if people can take a step back and try to, to go through the process and that with that type of an approach, it's better for everyone. It's just the reality is it doesn't always happen, and that's why there are courts. Okay. And hopefully when you go to court, you can present an effective case and represent your client's interest and get the best result possible. Ooh, you've already said some things that trigger questions for me. After the break. So, number one question. Can you describe to me the worst divorce you've seen in your 30 years that was in your in your hands? There were there were many really challenging divorces for different reasons. Juicy details. I need juicy details. I have Just, to be careful because okay. I can't really re of reveal course. no names. You know, and some fact patterns are so unique. Oh. Um that, you know, but the there best have of been your ability. Case, there have been cases where um, there's been false and really disturbing allegations of child abuse that one party has levied against the other, um, which Ooh. then triggered dependency court proceedings, uh, the children being placed in foster care, um, and then my client having to battle back through the dependency court system to regain custody oh. um, of, of the children. And so... Um, that is dark. It's it's dark. People do really horrible things, and um, that case was a very sad case. But ultimately, my client got full custody of oh. the children, and um, the dependency court proceedings were closed, and then we were able to finish up the proceedings in family law. But but the allegations were so heinous and so outrageous. But they were they were baseless too. How do you prove the baseless part of it? I mean, you essentially have to involve the children to get their, if they're old enough to get their their take on it or their their. Um, I guess you have to get their opinion on making it factual or not. Correct. Right, and and there's different ways that the courts will hear um, wow. what what the children have to say. In some cases, you'll, there will be either a psychologist or a social worker that interviews the children. Um, there will be minors counsel appointed in some cases where you have a completely independent attorney who represents the children's rights and interests and speak to the court. Uh, and so there's a variety of ways that 
the children's versions or, or realities are presented at the court. But you also have to be cautious because in some way, in sometimes, in some cases, um, children are uh, programmed um, and they parrot what one of the parents will say, even if it's not truthful. It depends on on how young or how sophisticated the children are, but oftentimes children can be manipulated to say things that are false. Of course, I mean you're, you're you're influenced by a parent and who you trust and you believe is looking out for your best interests. You're right. You're right. I can think. I mean, I can imagine that now. So Ooh. it's sad. It's sad when you see children being used in that way, but hopefully the system in most cases will work. Um, and so those are the, I think, really the saddest cases when children get get caught in the middle yes. of the conflict of their, their two parents. And I also think in cases where you have a party with mental illness, um, those types of cases are really challenging and sad because it's sometimes hard to reach a party, whether it's your own client or the opposing party, when there's an issue of mental illness. And um, that... The, ch- the children's interests sometimes, it's, it's hard to defend. And you want children to be able to have a good relationship with both parents, absolutely, no matter which side you're on. Yep. But when there's issues of mental illness, those are probably the most challenging cases to, to be involved in. I understand. And what happens if the client you're representing and have to defend is the culprit, is the one that's manipulating or lying to put your talent to the test of getting them what they want, but you know, whether it's factually or intuitively, that, oh, I've got the one that's the bad seed in the equation. I would never encourage somebody to use children to their advantage mm. for, for leverage or a tactical advantage in litigation. And it would always encourage uh, my clients not to talk about the the dissolution or uh, in, in paternity cases, to the demise of the relationship with the children, I try to be guided by what is right always right. and to make sure that the clients do the same because ultimately it's not in their in their interest or their children's interest and you try to encourage people to not to not involve the children in in the battle. Right, of course. And I know that obviously you handle a lot of celebrity cases like myself, my stuff kind of started to, you know, hit newsstands. And that was really hard to watch as you're trying to keep everything low profile and let it dissolve or let it get to a good place before everybody else gets to pick it apart. How often do you see the news pick up on some of your clients' cases? And how does that change the the temperament, the rhythm of what's going on? Uh, often. Often? Uh, often it happens. How and, does it and- get out, by the way? I know for mine, I was on a daily talk show and so people knew I was going through divorce and I was being as candid but also as respectful as possible. For you, like for people who don't aren't on a daily talk show, like how does it get out? It, it's, it's really changed. When I first started, there was very little coverage of divorce by the tabloids or the media. And uh, probably maybe 14, 15 years ago, you would start to see a lot of the tabloids or different reporters that basically had offices down at the central courthouse in Los Angeles on Hill Street. And they have, they still have offices and they watch all of the filings coming down. So these people sit and just troll and stalk watching new news come in. And as soon as they see a celebrity name, they prey on it. Yes. And it's public. 
Yes. Why is it public, by the way? All all dissolution actions are public. Why? For, I, I for think it's the right. It's. I'm not justifying it. Yeah. I don't think. I think people that are getting divorced, all people should have a right of privacy. Yeah, has of the choice, and, maybe, and it shouldn't be exploited. It's right. really, I think, should be the only the two people who are getting divorced. Sure. It shouldn't be public fodder for people to know the details, the purient details, or the salacious sure. details of a divorce. Um, but that's the way it's set up. Paternity actions is a, uh, are afforded privacy. You cannot get access to a paternity action. Uh, I don't know whether it's because of the stigma originally of children being born out of wedlock and yep. trying to maintain the privacy of children, but paternity actions are private, divorces are not, and they are just monitored. Sometimes you will have reporters that will, um, they monitor the filings, they will follow around certain family law attorneys to see if there's uh, an interesting case that's being litigated in the courthouse, but it's evolved and it's very rare these days that even celebrities or high profile people conceal their files. In extenuating circumstances, you can seal a public file to protect, for example, the interest of a child. Okay. Because the public interest in that is so high that there are circumstances that you can do that. So I heard that 50% of divorces are because of finances. Do you think that's true? It's hard for me to kind of measure the percentage of, of from of, your experience of the thirty years. Not you've seen. my experience because okay. I, because I don't necessarily represent the common the person who of a of a average socioeconomic background that might be might be suffering from financial stress. Mm. So the, most people that come to me, Marcy represents situation. rich people. That's, That's not basically. what I'm saying. <laughs> but but you know the pract- from a practical standpoint. You know, I don't even know necessarily why sometimes people are getting divorced. If people want to share it with me, then I'm always happy to listen. Oh, and, they always they but, already just bring to you, I'm getting divorced. Yeah, and some people like to talk about okay why they're getting divorced, sure. and other people don't. In California, it's a, what's called a no fault state, which means that I don't need to know right why people are getting divorced. Most of the time, they share information with me, and if they choose to do that, but it's no fault in California. I think there's a lot of reasons why people get divorced. Um, people grow apart. Sure. Lack of communication. Sure. Uh, maybe they there's infidelity, of course. Of course. And maybe that's because of the lack of communication and, and growing apart. Have you ever had a case where the divorce got reversed and the couple decided they didn't want to divorce anymore after, or does it always enter? the chamber and kind of go left that it ends up being a straight up divorce. Uh, I've oftentimes seen people reconcile. Really? Yes. Where they say, you know what? We don't want to divorce. Is it also because the finances are so messy that they don't want to? I actually remember Will and Jada on Red Table Talk on Facebook. She joked that the reason why I didn't divorce you is because it'd be a lot more work for me to divorce and figure that out than to just stay together. Which is funny, but I actually, I kind of feel that way too sometimes for people. In California, there's a six-month waiting period. What's that? uh, Before, from the time that you file for divorce and then the time that you can terminate your marital status and be a single person, there's a six-month waiting period. Because I think sometimes people reflect and maybe they decide that it's not the course they want to take. Right. Maybe they take a step back. Maybe they filed precipitously. Maybe um, I didn't know there was a six month waiting period. There's a six month waiting wow, period. Wow, yes. before they make it a fish. 
before you can terminate. So I've had cases where I've settled huge cases, but you still can't terminate the marital status for six months after the other party was served. I've I've seen cases where people have been divorced and then years later they remarry. Uh, because they had that breath of fresh air or they had some time apart or they went out to that swipe right life and <laughs> realized there's nothing good out there. Maybe they didn't appreciate their partner. Maybe mm. they were immature. Who knows? There's a variety of reasons why it happens. But right. it does happen where sometimes people get divorced and then reconcile or remarry later. Okay. So, Marcy, 30 years, tears. How many? How, what's the percentage of people who've cried in your office? Countless. Okay. Um heinous things that people have said about their spouses. I'm sure every single one of them saying, why the fuck did I get married? How many times have you heard that? Or why did I get married to that particular person? Okay, okay. How do you not bring this home? And how does this not influence your marriage? Well, hopefully it influences my marriage in a good way. In in terms of me learning from other people's uh, pain and experiences. Um, Has it? I, I probably does on an unconscious level okay. to some degree, but I'm lucky because uh, I think I found a partner that is really supportive of me and our children and appreciates the fact that, as you know, I'm a bit of a workaholic. Yep, yep. And so he's really great with our kids, but you have to, I think you learn that you have to have patience, you have to support your other part, your partner, um, and that, you know, marriage is sometimes, every marriage has ups and downs. I don't I don't think that your marriage is always perfect and I think the people that present that to the world, those are the people that usually have the problems. It's just natural that you have ups and downs and you have to just kind of weather the storm. Yeah. Okay, rapid fire questions, okay? Uh-oh. What are the biggest mistakes people make going into divorce? Uh, allowing their themselves to to be governed by their emotions and mm. not taking a step back and trying to make an objective decision. You can't let your emotions dictate how you uh, proceed in a divorce. So what does dictate it? I think you have to, hopefully, you have to have a good family law attorney who's going to try to help manage your expectations. Give you logic. Yes, and and make you assess pros and cons of proceeding in a certain way, whether you should litigate or not litigate, whether a settlement is reasonable. And also you have to uh, appreciate whether somebody can, what their tolerance level, level is for the process. Okay. Big question right here. To all my fans, and maybe even asking for a friend, Jeannie Mai over here, for a person who is looking forward to getting married, what are the right steps to take to protect yourself? if you end up in divorce. We all know about the prenup. What the hell is that scary word? And how do you make sure that you're protected later on? Well, first of all, if you take a step back, picking the right partner. For sure. Is, I think, the most important thing. And if you pick the right partner and someone who is supportive and respectful of you as a person, your career, your French outside friendships, because I think it's really important. I know you're an incredibly social person mm-hmm. like me, and my husband's really great about supporting my friendships with other people. So picking some a good partner for you who you have common interests with and is respectful is critical. And, and while some people aren't in favor of prenuptial agreements, I think um, that they can be a very useful tool in many situations, especially where you have maybe somebody who, who's worked very hard to acquire their assets and want to protect 
their assets. And you can define your rights in a prenuptial agreement and deviate from what the law provides with respect to property acquisition during a marriage, uh, spousal support. Now you can decide how you want to do it. Um, The only things you can't do in a prenuptial are make agreements regarding child support or custody. But I do think having a prenuptial agreement can define people's rights. And ultimately, if the marriage doesn't work out, then you hopefully will have less litigation and your rights will be dictated by the prenuptial. Amazing. And is this true or false? I think the one big fear that many couples have besides all of the other things, you know, falling out of love and changing, things like that, is to be cheated on. Is it possible to write into a prenup that fair game, you keep your money, I keep my money. Let's be let's be mature about the if the divorce happens that we don't go robbing each other, taking what's not ours. But if you cheat, ah, then there should be a clause there and and that should person should be owed something for having their time wasted with being with you because now you've cheated. You mean like to create a disincentive or a, or a penalty for doing that? Whatever that big word is, is that possible to put in a prenup? I have never done that. Uh, I have don't heard, you think it's a great idea? I do. I don't know. I think that you don't really need to do that, though. You can just define what your rights are for whatever the reasons are if you were to get divorced. But it is. A, but I cheating have is a big one. Cheating che- is a big one. And I know that there's a no-fault law, which I thought applied to, even if the person cheated, that doesn't change what California makes you divide. So could that be something you write in your prenup to say, okay, if you cheat on me, all bets are off and you then owe me this much. I have heard that people, many people have done that. So you can. I believe so. I've never done the research for okay. it, but I believe that you can. And I don't know why that would be unenforceable. Okay. I'm just throwing that out there to my fam because I think it's very fair when two people come together, you are building something together and everything that you've brought should be fairly yours. Obviously, you do not take what somebody has worked hard to gain. But when you come together, there are opportunities to create, build, business, gain more because of of the work that you've put in together. So when you divorce, it makes sense to split that down the middle. However, if that MF cheats or if you are the dust bag that cheated, I don't know where I came that word up, but (laughs) I'm just describing a gross, ugly thing inside of a vacuum cleaner, then you know what? You've broken the most important vow that you could possibly make in your life to another human being who's dedicated their life, their time, their circle of friends, their entire understanding of what love is to you, you owe them something. And so for me, girl, money is the only thing that's going to make it feel somewhat (laughs) better because that's going to be an emotional trauma that they're going to live with for the rest of their life. I just feel for people who have been cheated on. So I just, I always have wondered that when it comes to prenups because I've learned a great deal now moving forward about prenups and how to be mature about the what ifs, because you really never know as much as you want to say till death to us part. And I love you forever. And you activate doing everything you can to keep that people do change and situations change, you know, so I've learned now as much as I love the fairy tale idea of what a marriage can be like, you just never know. And the wisest thing you can do is to protect yourself for the good of what both deserve. I don't disagree. Amazing. Marcy, I really appreciate you for being here. I know I had to take you away from so many um, clients like me that had to deal with going through what they went through. But I love hearing your soothing voice here and just knowing that you're a good guy out there when it comes to family law. You're a good guy. 
that holds your hand and makes you feel strong through the process, not weaker in the problem. Well, I, I would like to just say one thing, and that is it's people like you that makes my job so much more rewarding. Mm. And it's when I am able to help somebody and support somebody, it's the best gift that I could have. Oh. And so I, and I, I adore you, and um, I've been really, really lucky to meet really special people. You kind of get to know people at an accelerated pace because of the nature of family law. Absolutely, and And you see people's true colors and their You see good people at their worst, and sometimes bad people at low points. Absolutely. But you get to to meet amazing people like you, and so that's, that's made my job that much more rewarding and special. Thank you for doing what you do. For anybody who needs... Any support from Family Law, obviously, I'm going to highly recommend that you give Marcy Levine a call. You can look her up online, Marcy Levine. I'm going to post this on my socials and give you direct contact to Marcy as well. But Marcy, thank you for being a superwoman in my life. Thank you, my fam, for listening to this show. I hope that you have strong, healthy relationships out there that you love wisely and love well. Yourself first so that you understand what real love is and then love each other the same way, if not better. Thank you for listening. Rate, subscribe, comment. I wouldn't have this without you, my fam. Peace.